the children of immigrants who will continue to feed America because that's me. I am a child of, of, of immigrant parents and I'm, I'm now feeding America. I'm now feeding people. And it's super important to understand that immigration obviously needs better reform. reform. I agree with it. What people don't understand is if there are no immigrants to pick your vegetables, if there are no immigrants to cook your food, if there are no immigrants to wash your dishes, to clean your home, to wash your car, then the economy will collapse. You won't have food systems anymore. You won't have an economy. Well, how do you think your tomato gets picked? Who do you think picks your corn? Who do you think is out there picking your strawberries? Every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown, a series of inspirational conversations with renowned culinary leaders. Discover how their cultural identity shapes their creative process with your host, Emmanuel. My guest today is Chef Michael Diaz from Brudo in Denver, Colorado. The restaurant Bruto is part of the hospitality group Ide Est from Chef Kelly Whitaker, who was a guest on this podcast last week. Please check episode 104. Chef Diaz talks about how he got his position at Bruto, his cooking style based on elevated Mexican food with Asian ingredients and Southern flair, and what it means to be a son of Mexican immigrants. I am your host, Emmanuel LaRoche. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the US. And every other week, I have genuine conversations with acclaimed chefs who chart today's food culture. We talk about their successes and challenges and how their cultural background influences their creative process. Please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to our newsletter at flavorsunknown.com. You will be able to download a free recipe booklet gathering recipes shared by chefs featured on my podcast. Please follow us as well on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Flavors Unknown. And now let's welcome Chef Michael Diaz. Hi, Chef. How are you? I'm doing good, Manuel. Thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure. I'm really excited to have you, you know, on Flavors Unknown. So thank you for giving us, you know, some time. Of course. You grew up in, in El Paso, correct? Yes. I, I was born in El Paso, Texas. And I, I lived there for a little bit of my childhood. And then I actually spent a lot of my childhood in Denver as well. So when you think about back to your childhood, either in El Paso or in, in Denver, what food and what smells remind you of, of your childhood? My mom and all of my aunts and my grandmother, they're, they're all phenomenal cooks. So growing up in a, you know, a Mexican household, the smells of the kitchen were very prominent. Tillas, fresh tortillas, and, you know, the, in the morning, the, the bacon and the potatoes and the, and the, the salsa roasting on a, on a cast iron, you know, the very simple jalapeno tomato onion salsa that they would make for breakfast, but you can smell it on the cast iron and, and hear it. So just the things like that. So are you part of one of, of chefs that you came into cooking because you had a, a mother, a grandmother, an aunt, an uncle, a dad who cooked and you were influenced by, by their cooking? 
I was definitely inspired by by my family. Like I said, growing up in and with a big family, there was always food around. Food brought people to the table for our family. So I was definitely inspired by by all their food that they would cook for us. And I knew I wanted to be a, a, a chef by the time I was 10 years old. So definitely. Oh, really? Yes. So you had one of those uniform and you were dressed up like a chef or no? No, I would when actually. you were 10 years old? <laughs> I would actually pretend. I remember when I was 10, I would, you know, like, in the summer and, you know, hanging out in the house and just playing. I remember pretending that I was playing chef, you know, like I would set up a, a fake kitchen and, and make fake food. And, and then right around that time, I started to make myself food at the house and, and kind of just kind of how I started. I'm guessing that, you know, that you are as well, like most of the chefs that are, you know, either you know, immigrants or son or daughters of immigrants or second or third generation that you did not start cooking your heritage type of food, correct? I did not want to have anything to do with Mexican food when I started cooking. I, I, I thought I knew everything about it. I thought I grew up with this. Why would I cook the same thing that I grew up eating? You know, I wanted to be one of the first cuisines that I started cooking was Southern food. One of the first restaurants I, I was, I was a line cook and a dishwasher at. I, I, uh, It was a dish, it was a southern food restaurant. So fried chicken and collard greens and pulled pork and all those things are what really attracted me to the kitchen at that time. And it wasn't until later that I really started to embrace my heritage. How did you end up in having an experience in Pujol in, in Mexico City? I, I was working in El Paso at the time for one of my mentors and good friend of mine, Oscar Herrera. He opened a restaurant called Taft Diaz after President Taft and President Diaz inside of a boutique hotel in downtown El Paso. And he hired me to be the chef de cuisine along with another chef and also some sous chefs. And it was a new construction, brand new hotel, brand new kitchen. So when I was hired on, there were some delays in construction. And he had a connection with Enrique Olvera. And he reached out to see if some of us could do a stage in Mexico while we were waiting for the, for the hotel to open. And... We packed up our bags and we went down to Puyol for Mexico City. A great experience. So, yeah. So, how was it? Can you share a little bit uh, yeah. with us, your I think, experience there? I think that Puyol was one of the kitchens that really, really molded me into the chef that I am today. That in Taft Diaz, I think it was a big shift in my mentality and the way I, I just operated in a kitchen. Their level of professionalism and their level of excellence is you know, through the roof. Unfortunately, Mexico does not have Michelin stars, but if they did, I think Puyol would be two or three for sure. So yeah, it just made me realize the level of excellence that that was out there. And it wasn't anything that we couldn't do. I just needed to see it. So being there and experiencing it and understanding, and that's where I also found new inspiration for, for Mexican food. And that's when I really started to kind of Dive. Can you give us an example, an example, like practical example of something that you remember from the experience there that influenced you from Pujol? I mean, just the way that they treat the ingredients there, you know, everything gets treated so preciously and everything gets used. And that's where I learned a lot about hyper seasonality of ingredients and working with farmers and, you know, treating your ingredients with respect and being simple with them, but still executing at such high level was was very, very inspirational for me. So any tip for me to 
thinking about Pujol because between now and the time that this episode is going to be out, I will have had the opportunity and the chance to uh, eat dinner at Pujol in Mexico City. So I'm going there soon. It's amazing. Yeah. You're going to have fun. I- okay. Anything specific that I need to taste? No, I mean, it's an omakase. So they're, they're just going to send you the, the 10. I think it's 10 courses right now, I believe. And like I said, it changes with the season, kind of like how I cook too. So I think you're going to experience it. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful restaurant with amazing service and, and the food is, it's, it's outstanding. So can you share with us how you, you got the position that's where you are now at, at Bruto in Denver? I worked at Taft Diaz for, for a good amount of time as a, a chef de cuisine. El Paso is a small city with very little recognition nationally. Also, it's a low income city. So as a chef, you don't make a great living. And I felt like I outgrew the city in a little bit, in, in, in some ways. And I, I wanted a, a challenge. I wanted bigger, better opportunities. I wanted national attention. I, I believed that I was that good. So I wanted to challenge myself and come to a new city. And obviously I have a family and I wanted to create better opportunities for them as well. So we moved to Denver in 2019, November of 2019 right before the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. I was hired as a sous chef at a restaurant here. That was my first position. And I worked there for four months and obviously the pandemic happened and I was furloughed. I ended up making sandwiches at a sandwich shop for close to eight months because that's the only job that I could get at the time. I was new to the city. I didn't have connections. Nobody knew who I was. Restaurants were closed. And then when they finally went back, a lot of these people hired the people that were already there. So so long story short, I got the itch again to to cook and I built a an outdoor grill and my dad built it for me with his friend. I designed it, they built it, they put it on a truck from Texas and brought it up here. I started doing these backyard barbecues and just started getting some attention from some local chefs and I stumbled upon a gentleman by the name of Tosh Cook. He's a, also a chef here in Denver. Beautiful man. He cares about the community. He cares about the chefs and just very loving. And I met him and he introduced me to Kelly Whitaker, which is the founder of IE Hospitality and owner of Bruto and also Wolf's Taylor and Basta. And I came into Bruto just to say hi and see if there was anything that I can help with. I, I was Looking to get back in the kitchen, but I was also just being cautious because you never knew what was going to happen. And I was a little bit scared to get back in and commit to something. And then, you know, we get shut down again. So I went in and I introduced myself. I let Kelly know who I was and, you know, what I did. And at the time, Bruto was closed and it was about to reopen as an advocacy kitchen where different chefs could come in and showcase their skills and their food and also talk about the importance of the election at the time. It was two months before the 2020 election, and we all had something to say. I I come from a border town where we had just been hit with some violence at a Walmart where there was a shooting and immigration reform and gun reform was big for me, and I wanted to talk about that. And we set up a, a stage at Wolf's Taylor. I showed up to kind of you know, show them what I can do. And I set up my station and I worked next to Kelly the whole night at Wolf's and he was impressed. (laughs) And he offered me the advocacy kitchen at Bruto. He said three, you said you have three, three nights for the month of October, every Tuesday, you can pop up. And we popped up as my, my brand, which is called Pinchu Mommy. It's my side project where we do all the open fire cooking. And, you know, that's how I kind of started. And 
the first one did really well and the last two sold out completely. And even though it was COVID, it was still successful. And, and we sat down and he offered me the job of CDC of uh, Chef de Cuisine at Bruto. And, and I obviously took That's it. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's been a long two years. It's crazy. How do you work with him? Me and Kelly have a really, really great relationship. He, he is my, my mentor, my, my business partner and my friend more than anything. From the beginning, Kelly gave me all of the freedom in the world to take ownership of Bruto because he knew I, I could, you know, and at the time I was so determined to just showcase myself and my skills and my food that he kind of just let me run with it. So our relationship is more of a partnership. It's a partnership and a friendship that, that we have. And, you know, when we talk, we talk about the goals that we have, but, you know, he just lets me, he just lets me run the restaurant like if it was my own. Pretty great. So can you describe it like the, the food concept at, at Bruto? Bruto's a 18 seat chef counter, omakaze, meaning chef's choice. The food has shifted a lot throughout the last two years. We started being heavily influenced in, in, in Mexican food and Latin, Latin America and Latin ingredients and some Japanese techniques and ingredients. And, and now I think that the food at Bruto is, is becoming something very special. We're more global influence now. Obviously, the highlights of the menu are going to be the grains, the seasonality of ingredients, and also the chilies. Those are the three things that we highlight the most at Bruto. Our less waste program, our fermentation and our pickling program are big. Uh, the grains play a, a huge role. We have a, a, a grain company called Dry Storage where we grow all of our own heritage wheat berries here in the state. And then now with me being here, I, I'm really focusing on the corn too. So fresh masa, but we're also exploring what we can do with, uh, with the corn besides the, the masa and the tortilla. So fermentation, koji, misos, garums, marins, soy sauce, just trying to, trying to make it with the corn. It's been really fun to explore that project. Fermented corn, beverages, tepaches, tejuinos. So yeah, we just started a pasta program at Brew. So we have pasta on the menu now and it's a hybrid of of flour and corn. So it's a 50-50 blend. There's a lot of topics here and I love the questions <laughs> for you. So maybe it's a naive questions, but why this idea of and this desire of like global influences and especially the impact of, you know, some of those like Asian ingredients and techniques that you are talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the way that we're shifting the, the menu now into the global influence is just we just want to cook good food. And if there's an idea or an, some inspiration that comes from, doesn't matter if it comes from Italy or if it comes from Spain or if it comes from Mexico, we want to explore it. But we're going to put our brutal twist to it, obviously, we're utilizing the grains, the fermentation, the chilies. And by no means are any of our dishes traditional. We We take inspiration. We respect it. We have a story behind it. But at the end of the day, we just want to cook good food. We want to put a smile on your face when you eat that dish. And if it takes you back to your childhood or it recreates a memory that takes you back to somewhere special or it just makes you smile because it was tasty, that's what we want to do, you know? Are those in Asian ingredients, because they're still like, quite a bit that you are using, you know, in your, you know, in your moles, because it's like, they have like this 
characteristic to bring up like the umami character that you think is interesting, you know, in the other dishes that you are making. So I'm just curious about. I've always been a sauce guy. My my whole thing is sauce. Like I, if I could be, if I if I were to work in a traditional brigade at a restaurant in New York City, I would be the saucier. That's just that's just my favorite thing to do in a restaurant. The moles became a part of our cuisine because I wanted to explore those flavors with the chilies and the grains. And then now adding the corn misos that we're making to the mole to bring out a lot of that richness and this really big umami flavor in the mole. It's been really fun because, you know, we're, we're inoculating the nixamalized corn to make the koji, to make the miso. And then we're adding it to the mole with the chilies and the grains. So it, it kind of just, it's all tied together. We take a lot of inspiration from Asian food because that's just what we like to cook with. We, we love the flavors. And I think that two of the best ingredients to pair together are, are, are chilies and miso. I think that those two things together create this very beautiful umami flavor. What kind of chilies do you work with? Right now we have 32 different chiles at the restaurant. Oh, wow. A lot of them are obviously sourced from Mexico, but we're also sourcing a lot of chiles from Colorado. As we start to understand the agriculture in Denver and surrounding areas a little bit more, we're starting to find that there's a lot of variety of chiles out there. A lot of them are coming from New Mexico. A lot of them have been here in the state, you know, from the Native Americans. And so beside the Ach chili, what, what chili, what, what else, like what else is coming from Colorado in terms of chili? Right now we have the Criollo Sellas, which is a citrusy pepper, very similar to Cayenne. We have the Española. We have the Ring of Fire. Chilies grow really well here in the summer. So I just picked up a big batch of uh, Chile Poblano, actually. Jimmy Nardellos, Serranos. Uh, yeah, the list goes on. <laughs> What are like the, some of the local ingredients beside the one you just, you just mentioned that are kind of the treasure from Colorado that you like to cook? So right now, especially because it's, you know, we're, we're kind of winding down in the summer. The bounty right now is incredible. Tomatoes are on fire, eggplants, peppers, palisade peaches, obviously, plum, plums, melons, watermelons, leafy greens, corn. Yeah, I, get, I, I, I go to the farmer's market every Saturday and before work, and I always find something new. You know, I haven't finished exploring what Colorado has to offer yet. If like the produce that you are talking about and the influence of the season is your, almost like your first step, step of inspiration, what's the next step for you in, that you take in creating the dish? So if, if it's something that we want to really showcase, such as a tomato, I feel like there's this really beautiful aspect of a tomato just being fresh, just being raw. So we, we think about how do we, how do we showcase the product without having to do too much to it? But at the same time, being creative and also understanding what we're serving to the guests, you know, so tomatoes and peaches, you know, we like to serve them fresh. We smoke the, the peaches a little bit and then we combine them together to make a very beautiful tomato, peach, you know, fresh dish with the consomme. But then we go off to the side and we serve it with some brioche and some aioli and it becomes a deconstructed tomato sandwich almost, you know, really fun, playful ideas of what we can do with the food that we're, that we have available to us, but obviously just showcasing the beautiful product. I have an exciting news to share with you now. During the pandemic, I wrote a book 
based on the common threads and insight I had gained into how culinary leaders think. My book, Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door, builds upon this podcast and focuses on key learnings from my discussions with 50 top culinary leaders combined with my experiences in the food industry. Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door offers an insider's look into culinary trends through the words of acclaimed and professionally recognized chefs, pastry chefs, and mixologists. The book will be published on November 8th, but you can already pre-order it wherever you buy books online. Thank you in advance for your support. When you think about techniques versus creativity, what's, what's the most important for you? I think the creativity comes first before the, the, the technique. I think that I think both are important. Obviously, if you have them both, then you're going to create a very beautiful dish. But I think if you have something very creative and you serve it in a good way, the technique will fall behind it. I, I think that that's kind of how I approach that one. And is your creative process like something that you do in solitude and on your own, or is it a collaborative effort with you know the rest of the team that you have? It starts with me. I draw inspiration from anything. I can literally go eat at a restaurant, draw inspiration there, or I'm at the farmer's market and I see ingredients and I'm always writing everything down. I'm always just jotting ideas, jotting ideas. And then as a creative, I, I get spurts of like creative energy. You know, I don't, I'm not always super hyper creative, you know, cause I'm always, I was all working it, but there'll be times where I just sit down and write for two hours because I just get like, just something in me just sparks and I just write a whole menu and then it's done. And then I type it up. I put it on a, we have a, a we call it the Bruto brain and all of my ideas and all of my recipes are in there and everything that we've been working on in the last few years. And then I shoot it over to my sous chefs, my GM and my bar manager. And then we sit down and discuss and we talk about ideas and their feedback and and then it becomes a collaborative effort from there. As you mentioned, you know, before that you're part, like Bruto is part of EDS, you know, hospitality group from Kelly Whitaker. So there's as well a collaborative process between like the different entities and the different individuals that are part of this group? Right now, it, it's it's been kind of hard because everybody's just kind of in their own restaurant. We haven't had a lot of opportunity to really get together um, and share ideas. We share the mill obviously. So we both have access to the grains. And then we both have access to Mara King, who is the director of fermentation for the company. And she brings in a lot of very amazing techniques and ideas in regards to fermentation. I know she's good friends with Sander Katz and has traveled in China and in Asia. And, and she helps a lot with the fermentation processes. Me and her meet once a month and just talk about ideas that I have and she helps me execute them because she has the experience. And uh, all the fermentation projects that are that we have at Bruto is it comes from an idea that I have and utilizing the chilies and the grains and the corn and and then we put it all together and that's how we've been fermenting all the beautiful projects that we have right now. The story of the food in the US is based on the story of, you know, immigration. So and I had, you know, more than twenty guests on the podcast that either are immigrants or, you know, second generation. So I want to have a little bit your, you know, your, your thought on this. When, uh, you know, we, we saw each other in Denver, I noticed that you were wearing a very important t-shirt. So it was very important to me that what was the exact quote from the t-shirt? Do you remember? Yeah. It says immigrants feed America. 
my whole thing, and I also what I'd like to say is immigrants feed America, but the children of immigrants will continue to feed America. I am a child of, of, of immigrant parents, and I'm I'm now feeding America. I'm now feeding people. And it's super important to understand that immigration obviously needs better reform. Reform. I, I, I agree with it. I really got into this right before the, the 2020 election and, you know, everything that was happening and and all these reforms and trying to build a wall and trying to keep people out. And it, what people don't understand is if there are no immigrants to pick your vegetables, if there are no immigrants to cook your food, if there are no immigrants to wash your dishes, to clean your home, to wash your car, then the economy will collapse. You won't have food systems anymore. You won't have an economy. How do you think your tomato gets picked? Who do you think picks your corn? Who do you think is out there picking your strawberries? How do you go to Whole Foods in your Tesla park, go inside, pick up some strawberries? Where do you think that came from? What do you think? It just magically appeared on the shelf? No. You know, it comes from from immigrants. It comes from hardworking people that have no choice. That they have to be out there in that field picking vegetables for 12, 14 hours a day, getting paid $7.25 an hour. That's why I thought as a person that has had, you know, I, I consider myself very fortunate and by no means am I well off, but I have a, a voice and I have a platform to say something and I'm going to use it. Because my parents were immigrants. My parents worked hard. My parents picked vegetables when they first arrived here in the United States to give me the opportunities that I have now. Why wouldn't I say something? You know? So that's, it's, it's huge for me. I, I, it, it fires me up, you know, when I hear people saying immigration reform and kicking people out of the country and, and all these, these things. And it's, it's upsetting because they don't understand that if, one day you wake up and there are no immigrants in this country, you will not have food systems anymore. They will collapse. They will be gone. You won't be able to get your strawberries at your local Whole Foods, you know. I just wanted to give you, um, you know, a voice on, on the topic. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go back to, you know, the food. And uh, I ask always my guests to share like um, a recipe or a guideline for a recipe suggestion that, you know, a home cook can make and prepare like someone, you know, like myself. So let's probably use like taco as the platform, but what unique spin, you know, would you suggest to make and, uh, you know, some, something that, you know, I could do at home. I mean, something simple, you know, a tortilla that you can make at home utilizing masa seca or masa harina. You can pick it up at any Mexican market or, you know, even at a local grocery store. It's very simple. You take the masa seca or the masarina, you hydrate it with some hot water. You can also utilize a little bit of a fat. So, you know, if you render bacon and you reserve your bacon fat, add a little bit of that. That's going to give your tortilla some really good flavor, really nice texture. You know, and what I like to do with my tortillas that when I'm at home, I take a little bit of cheese, whatever that is, asadero or you know, Monterey Jack, whatever you have in the pantry. And I, I like to melt it a little bit on a griddle. You know, if you have a pancake griddle or anything like that, and then you place, place a tortilla on top of that and it makes a cheese crust. And then you can, whatever topping you have at home, some roasted veggies, a little salsa, call it a day. Okay. What kind of salsa? 
I my favorite salsa, and like when we were talking about going taking me back to my childhood, is roasted tomato, jalapeno, garlic, and and tomato, just on a cast iron, roast it, blend it, salt. That's it. Simple. Let's switch to rapid fire questions. So you and I are going on a tasting tour in in Denver. So beside, of course, Bruto and you know the restaurants from. Kelly, what are like the five spots that you will... Okay, I'll start in no particular order or placement. I'm just going to wrap them off. We're going to go to Bing Zhao Bakery. They're located on Alameda. They have uh, the best banh mi sandwiches, I think, ever, anywhere. And then we're going to pick up a Vietnamese coffee too with that. So we'll get a, a roasted pork shoulder banh mi and then a Vietnamese coffee. After that, we're going to go across the street to La Calle Taqueria. It's a small little taqueria and they remodeled this old home and it's uh, like a home and then added an addition but it's family owned and operated they have birria menudo tacos and just that's it yeah i go there sometimes on friday mornings right before my shift at work to go get menudo and birria and and then i go okay. go to work i love birria birria so good um and then for a more, you know, experiential dining, Pop Alley, I think does a, an amazing job with uh, Cantonese, Chinese, American food. Tommy Lee is the chef and owner there and good friend of mine. And I think that their food is just tasty. It's good. It's a great natural wine. I'm a big natural wine drinker. So I love going there. I also like to support somebody's people. It, it's owned by Trisha and Sam. They're good friends of mine as well. And they cook the chef there. His name's Art. He cooks amazing vegan food. Also super hypo-seasonal. So they cook with a lot of vegetables. And I always draw inspiration from them because their restaurant is 100% plant-based. And what they, they're able to do with vegetables and, and grains is, is super, super inspiring. Okay. I think one more. It's called Tio Cali. They do really good Mexican food, tacos, and, and the chef there is from Oaxaca. And he brings a lot of Oaxacan insp uh, inspiration. Very simple, classic, traditional food, but done right. And every time I go there, I have a couple of mezcales and some tacos, and I'm a happy guy. Very good. Thank you. So what's your favorite, favorite guilty pleasure food? Oh, my God. I hate to admit that I'm a sucker for some good in and out <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm a sucker i'm a sucker for a good burger man yeah okay yeah. very good three cookbooks that inspired you the most sean brock's first and so on southern cooking a, a very very inspirational this one it was not a cookbook but anthony bourdain's book as well i think inspired a lot of chefs in general and then francis mom open fire cooking book I'm, I'm obsessed okay. with open fire cooking. So I think that that's going to be the next step of my career after I'm done with restaurants. I think I want to just cook outside. Okay. And live a very Francis huh. Norman life, drink good wine and cook good food. <laughs> we probably have to come back and you come back and talk to us about this. What's your biggest pet peeves in the kitchen? When people don't fold their towels. <laughs> <laughs> I hate sloppy towels on my tables or on prep stations. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The last question I have for you is like, beside the, the classics, you know, what condiment spices, sauces and dressing do you like to have on and at home? At home, I, hot sauces are one of my favorite things to just have. I, I'm a hot sauce collector. If I see a hot sauce, I pick it up. Uh -huh. <laughs> Soy sauce, uh, rice wine vinegar and mirin are my three that I love to have. Okay. Yeah. 
What's your top three hot sauce that uh, we should, uh, you know, we should try? Oh man, I, li- I really like the fly by Chili Crunch. Oh they yeah, do an excellent job. I love Cholula. <laughs> yeah, I think it's such a good salsa. And one more, I think a good classic Valentina. Man, can't go wrong with it. <laughs> Absolutely, no, I agree. I agree. Chef, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. Next time you are in Denver, get to any of Chef Kelly Whitaker's restaurant and especially to Bruto to enjoy Chef Michael Diaz Amakase-style menu. Please share this episode with family members, friends, or colleagues as I always welcome new listeners to the show. The next episode will feature Chef Chris Coleman from Charlotte, North Carolina. You might have seen him on various TV shows like Chopped, Beat Bobby Flay, or recently, Alex vs. America. I see you in two weeks, and until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a follow on Instagram at Flavors Unknown and visit us at flavorsunknown.com. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.